Hey, welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we are headed into the mini winter break with a mini season overview. We're taking in not just the last weekend's action, but sort of, uh, you know, the sum total of all 13 games, be they lucky or unlucky of the season so far. With me this week is Nick Wildhagen. Fancy that. Tell me, uh, do you feel lucky, punk? <laughs> Always do. Always do. And, uh, well, thanks for all the encrypted messages I've been receiving the last week. Uh, I, I haven't deciphered them yet, but um, they, they made my, my week, really. <laughs> nice, nice. This week we're going to be looking at, of course, the uh, the big one versus two, or, you know, now maybe you can say it was two versus one matchup. We'll be talking about some of the teams who uh, are, are cruising into that break uh, with, with a little bit of wind in their sails, and we'll also be bringing up uh, some who are not so happy. All right, here is part one of Talking Foosball. The part where we talk about, you know, the best of the match day that's just gone. And I think the, the real point here is not that uh, we're just going to talk about match day 13. It was a ma another match day. It was an interesting match day. There were some good matchups. But it gives us a really nice point uh, from which to look at the season so far for just about every team. Because we're heading into a little bitty uh, winter break. Um, I, I say little bitty because it's really only a couple of weeks long. Not like the traditional German uh, five or even six week winter break where... A lot of teams get a chance to reset. Sometimes teams, uh, you know, will change their coach or will bring in a, a number of new players. Obviously, those options are still there for anybody who wants to uh, take them. Hmm. <coughs> Schalke. <coughs> um, Looking at you, Schalke. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say. Exactly. But, you know, I think that despite the fact that this is going to be a short winter break, it is a, an important moment for us to sort of look at where teams are at because, you know, there are expectations going into the season. There were expectations that have, uh, you know, risen or, or fallen throughout that first bit of the season. It does feel a little funny because, you know, we can't give away the traditional uh, Talking Foosball halfway awards uh, at our at our traditional <laughs> December time. But, you know, we can we can draw some conclusions. I think the place where we really need to start is at the top of the table. It is, you know... You can't get any more clear than a matchup between, you know, number one and number two. This was, I guess, you know, was it number one and number three going into the match day? I mean, with Bayern and, and Leipzig, I guess, were, were level on points going into the match day. I think it was one and two, yeah. Was it one and two? Okay. Leverkusen were the one in the matchup, which definitely feels a little bit um, unfamiliar because, you know, we know the team that's been winning title after title after title after title after title. Was that one too many or one too few? I don't know. <laughs> Not too few. <laughs> exactly. I know. It's just, it's tiring saying uh, one too many eight times in a row. It, it's, it gets monotonous. This was a really weird game because Leverkusen were clearly coming into this, uh, into this one on the back of a whole lot of good results. They started this game quite positively. They were very much the team in the driver's seat in the first half. They got a, a goal fairly early on, a really nice goal, a volleyed goal from Patrick Schick to put them up 1-0. They could have made it 2-0 or maybe even 3-0 if things had uh, gone their way a little bit more. But this is Leverkusen and they were playing Bayern. So, you know, Bayern, they like to score goals late in the first half. They like to score goals late in the second half. Uh, 
Robert Lewandowski likes to score goals at any time. Those likes all converged, and it ended with a, a 2-1 win for Bayern. I mean, even and the at the very death of this game, I really thought that Leverkusen were gonna gonna come home with a one one draw. They were just about there. They had just about gotten it done. Yeah, there were there were only seconds left on the clock, wasn't there? I know. It was literally the last kick of the game was was uh, Robert Lewandowski. I mean, what we can take away from this match is that um, individual errors get always punished by Bayern München because um, both goals followed individual errors. I mean, yep. uh, Brodetsky and Tar going both both of them going for the ball, whilst Tar probably should have covered Lewandowski and let his goalkeeper get to the ball by himself. You know that that is an avoidable error that is down to bad communication with, between the goalkeeper and his defender, and the pass that. Jonathan Tarr's playing for that second goal is an abomination of a pass. I mean, he can do anything else, basically. He can kick the ball upfield, go for Hail Mary sort of pass. He can kick the ball out of play. He can play another back pass. He can do whatever he damn pleases. And um, he ends up gifting Bayern chance for counter-attack high up the pitch. And, uh, well, thanks very much, the Bavarians said, and uh, got that second goal. So, um, yeah, in, in that sense, you, you see why Bayern have won title after title after title after title after title. <laughs> after title. <laughs> Not you as well. I, I could I could keep going, but it, it gets it gets monotonous. And the other team is called Neverkusen. Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting the way that it played out in the end. And you are very right to point out that uh, Jonathan Ta had a hand in both of those goals. And, and and I really understand in some ways what might have been happening there. I mean, basically, you know, Leverkusen, they like to play out of the back. They like to sort of uh, maintain possession. They're one of the highest possession sides in, in the division. They are sort of constitutionally disinclined to just hoof the ball up the pitch for no particular reason. I mean, they'll play a long ball when they think it's going to help them, if it's a tactically uh, you know, sound thing. If they're trying to put on a, a controlled, uh, fast counter type of attack. But, you know, Jonathan Ta is not on the pitch to do that sort of thing. He's, he's a guy who likes to play out of the back like the rest of his teammates. And Bayern, at the same time, we all know what they like to do. They like to, you know, compress the pitch. They like to to counter press uh, with with their front line, uh, putting a lot of pressure on uh, other teams' back lines to see if they can get you know cheap changes of possession and get a, a nice uh, opportunity for a, for a goal scoring chance. And that's exactly what they did. So in some ways, this was just these teams playing to type, and it happened to be that Bayern were sharper at the end of the game than than Leverkusen. And that, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I mean, what what's really been um, telling this season is that Bayern have been. I can't remember Bayern's finishing being this good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. In a long time, because I mean, if you go by the xG, they should have scored thirteen goals less. Mm-hmm. Usually, Bayern xG points to the fact that they've scored too few goals, not too many, and thirteen. I mean, that's a goal a game. Oh yeah, they're they're outperforming their xG by fifty percent. They, they they it's twenty six is their expected goals. They have thirty nine. Yeah, it's insane what they're doing. Yeah, so I mean that, that the finishing uh, of Bayern, I mean they have struggled defensively. They've struggled mentally, not mentally, but they've struggled defensively. They've struggled tactically. Oh, yeah. They've gone a goal they've, down. You know, like, they, how many goal games this year? The mentality of that team and the way they've been finishing up front means that 
actually what, you know, if you just look at the XG, they should have been a few points behind many of these teams. Arsenal, Sport, Leipzig, Bayer. Now they're topping the table. And I mean, that's pretty much what mentality and good finishing gets you. Speaking of mentality, uh, we've got, we got a, 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 you know, a, as they say in, in, in Germany, a mentalitates monster. Mentality monster. What, what a ring uh, it, it, to it. And it, it has when you say it in English. Joshua Kimmich is, uh, is back. He uh, came in in the second half. It looks like he's um, ready to start running uh, off the rust and, and, He'll probably be back at more or less full strength when things start back up in, in you know, a little bit into January. All I can say for the rest of the uh, the title chasing candidates is gulp. <laughs> <laughs> Best of luck. <laughs> Fine on top on Kimmich back. I'm getting nauseous. Yeah, let's speak a little bit about some of the the negatives here for Bayern. I mean, I I, I don't want to dwell on this, but. A lot has been made of the fact that uh, Leroy Sané has not exactly been a hand-in-glove presence for this team. Uh, he did not start the game. He came in when uh, Kingsley Coman got injured. Not really totally clear on on uh, how that's going to play out for, for Mr. Coman, the uh, oft-injured Coman. But, you know, Sané only lasted, he didn't even last 40 minutes uh, in this game before um, Hansi Flick <laughs> had seen enough and, and brought in, uh, you know, the kid, Jamal Musiala, who's got more goals than, than does uh, Leroy Sané. What's the trajectory for him? Looking at Bayern, looking at the fact that they have basically a, a, a front line of, you know, Lewandowski is nailed on. Then you have Coman and Gnabry, who are pretty well near nailed on. You've got Musiala coming up behind uh, them, who at the moment, seems to enjoy at least as high, if not higher status in this team than, than uh, Leroy Sané's. Where, where are things headed for him? <laughs> On a note to Schalke, many Schalke fans would hope hearing me say, but um, now I think Bayern are going to stick with him and at least give him another season if things don't work out perfectly this season. I think it's in their interest that Sané is going to be the player that they thought they were going to get you know, a German national team's uh, attacker who scores goals in abundance for Bayern München because from a marketing point of view, that's it's a weight worth in gold for Bayern München and uh, that's what they thought they were getting when they bought him. Um, but, you know, listen, I mean, the season before he got to Bayern, he's very, he had an ACL tear to, to be concerned about and, you know, the effects from such an injury can last a while even though players are back on the pitch. So, give it time. He might very well come good in, you know, maybe not next week, but maybe in a, in a couple of weeks or a few months. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not too terribly worried about it. I feel like, as you say, when you're coming back from an injury that serious and one that, that leaves you out for that long, to expect a player like that to, to get back to, you know, top form that quickly, you know, sometimes it happens. Usually it doesn't. Being at Bayern is a great place to be in that respect because there's not a lot of pressure on him to contribute in a huge way uh, right away. I think he's going to be afforded the time to get back, uh, you know, in, into top form. Let's talk a little bit about Leverkusen here because while it was a galling, <laughs> and I mean a galling loss, like this was a game that they threw away. 
it's really great for them still that <laughs> they're in second place. They're only two points behind Bayern. This is, you know, one of the best Leverkusen teams we've seen in many a year, and I still trust them to hang around near the top of the table for some time. How satisfied do you think they, they should be in having lost out by this much on the Champions League last season? Um, what do you think that their expectation should be for this, you know, <laughs> extended second half of the season, let's just say? I mean, what they've definitely proven and shown, not only in the match against Bayern, but throughout these entire 13 matches, uh, the, the mini Hunde. Uh, they've shown that they do possess the quality to be a contender for the Champions League spaces. Uh, they have shown that they have the grit and determination to grind out results in pretty much every match. I mean, this was the first loss of their season so far. And, you know, as we discussed, it was a pretty narrow one. I think they are looking better as a unit than they've done in a long time. I mean, Leverkusen always had sort of attacking flair and... Um, great individual players on the pitch over the last few years. But when you look at the entire team and when you see how they defend, when you see how they attack and how they counter-attack and how they press, it, uh, I, can't, I, you know, I cannot remember Leverkusen's side doing these things so well for, for many a year. And um, you know, that in itself should, uh, should bode well for the future. I think if they're not qualifying for the Champions League, uh, they'll be sick to their stomachs at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I guess before we leave that behind, an interesting sort of side note that um, came out in in the sort of days following this match. Um, The Bender brothers, uh, Sven and Lars Bender, you know, who have put in a lot of good years in the Bundesliga and and at least the last few uh, for for Leverkusen, they're going to be retiring. And, and, you know, they're twins. They're retiring together. They are retiring at the end of this season. It would be really cool. Obviously, it would be really cool for Leverkusen fans to see this team actually win a title. But it would be really a great crowning achievement for these for these two guys uh, if they could if they could actually win something with Leverkusen and and perhaps that could be an interesting subplot for their their push uh, for a title. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, you want to imagine those two twins out into a nice retirement. I'm, I'm sure they have some plans already. Uh, probably going to open a taverna in Greece or something. <laughs> Los dos amigos, just to make the language confusion. Even the more present. Yeah, I, I think um, th- those two players have certainly been uh, great players over many, many years. Versatile players and um, had their moments in the national team as well, both of them. Um, not too many, but, you know, they had their moments. And uh, yes, I think um, those two winning a title would be would be a lovely end and a deserved end to, to their career because their careers have been great. Yep. And with too many injuries for both of them, by the way. Yeah, you you always felt like they were guys who sort of reached a certain plateau. And obviously, they're they're not the flashiest players. They don't score a lot of goals or make a lot of, um, you know, sort of uh, pretty passes. But they are consummate uh, footballers, both of them. And they are guys who you felt that at certain points in time, they there was a little bit more that they could have they could have achieved. Yeah. I mean, uh, I saw I saw Tony Kroos um, <laughs> replying to a tweet the other day. Uh, somebody said, "Oh, I'm sick to my stomach." Tony Kroos, he's such an overrated player. Plays 55 back passes in a minute, and this asshole is making 20 million dollars a year and 
Crows retweeted that, stating, Yeah, you're right about everything, except for the money, because there's more. <laughs> oh, playing for Real Madrid has its privileges. All right, well, let's let's move on and talk about, you know, one of the, uh, the Bender Brothers' former clubs. That is Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> um, yeah, this was... <laughs> not the best weekend for Dortmund. And and let's face it, it's not been the best uh, mini-Hinrunde for Dortmund. They were 2-1 losers in Berlin at the Alte Försterei. This was another totally winnable game for them, but which, you know, they, they kind of threw away after they got picked off twice from set pieces. A, a really, really nice goal from uh, Mukoko. His first goal, he's the youngest uh, Bundesliga goal scorer in the history of Bundesliga goal scorers. Uh, but it wasn't very meaningful, much like, uh, you know, Gio Reyna's goal uh, against Valve Bay the weekend previous. Mats Hummels. Of course, uh, you know, Dortmund captain, Dortmund Mr. Mr. Everything for Dortmund. He let rip on uh, the, the aforementioned Gio Reyna and on Emre John, uh, the players who he more or less thought were at fault for those two goals, missed assignments on on set pieces. You know, is he right to do that? Either from, from the sort of, you know, blaming them is, is a legitimate grievance or blaming them is a good thing to do in public? It's probably not a good thing to do in public. I mean... Yeah, we lose and win together. It's sort of like uh, the sort of yeah. It sounds like a, a silly slogan or something, but it's actually a mentality that uh, sees a team perform well and sees a team perform for each other. If you're starting to lap rip in the press and point, start pointing fingers, like he did, by the way, after Lucien Favre's last match as well, it just shows that not all is well in that dressing room, apparently. Because there seems to be some internal friction. It doesn't just seem to be Favre. It doesn't just seem to be a matter of players being unhappy with the with the coach. And you know that 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 unhappiness should have subsided now that Eden Terzic has been installed. Um, doesn't doesn't seem that way. So um, it's it's not a good. It's not conducive to producing great results. But on you know on his point is that you know. Whilst it was these two players who didn't fulfill their assignments during uh, set pieces, Borussia Dortmund actually had another similar match against Cologne only a couple of weeks ago where there were two set balls and both of these uh, set balls uh, led to goals. Same same happened again. And, uh, you know, when you, when you lose two matches against two weaker opponents on set pieces, there's something seriously wrong with the way you're preparing for your next opponent, I would say. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I, I can understand, you know, really laying into a, a very young player like Gio Reyna, who is essentially in his first full season as a professional right now. I mean, obviously, he's, he's a, a great young player. He's probably going to be t- turning into, you know, a, a really big time player uh, in in as the years passed. But you know, at the moment, he's he's just a good young player, and hearing that from a guy who is you know what thirteen years older than him, fourteen years older than him, that's fine. I'm a little less convinced that that uh, going after uh, a player with the stature of of Emery John, not to say that he's like a giant among men, but he is an experienced professional, and he maybe doesn't want to hear that from from uh, his, his teammate. I mean, Emre Can could have shot back at him and said, well, at least I still have a shot at a national team place. Uh, well, 
<laughs> if you want to play on that team, <laughs> I'm not sure that it, I'm not sure that that uh, Hummels actually wants to get into drawn into that quagmire. You were talking about preparation, mm. talking about um, you know the, the problems that that seem to be endemic to this uh, this team. They're they're they're, they're playing set pieces. Um, you know some of their sort of inability to uh, convert chances. You know there's a new guy in charge. Not really clear how long he's going to be there. Not really clear what his plans are. Is you know Edin Terzic, is, as you mentioned, he has won a game. He's lost a game. Kind of a funny subplot that that uh, came about over the weekend and in the days passing. This is you know a bit off topic, but I think it, it created some some interesting discourse in, in Germany. The ever opinionated. Mehmet Scholl, uh, former you know Bayern uh, playmaker from from mostly the '90s, and and spilling over into the into the aughts, who you know he's been a TV pundit. He's done a little bit of coaching. Uh, you know he coached Bayern Zwei for a while. He you know hasn't really made a big splash in that world, despite the fact that he has a, a, a pro license and so forth. He. Apparently, he's got a bit of a bug in his ear about Aiden Terzic, criticized him for, you know, making sort of mealy mouth statements about uh, the way that the team had played or the kinds of, uh, you know, messages he wants to give to the press. He basically is lumping him in with what he calls a new generation of coaches who are, are, are smooth talking salesmen who, who don't understand the nitty gritty. Is there anything in there? Is, th- is there some truth to this? Listen, uh, I used to follow the Bundesliga closely during Mehmet Scholl's day as a days as a player. Uh, I loved Mehmet Scholl as a player. I, I actually once wrote a piece about uh, being have, him being my secret crush in the Bundesliga during the nineties because obviously it's, 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 it's a solid crush, man. Yeah, crush. obviously I'm not a Bremen fan. It's sort of uh, not 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 really allowed. You're not really allowed to to fall in love with the style of play of a Bayern player, but I did. He was that good, but um. As, as for the statements and, and the things that were said during press conferences and um, by the players and all that, during that during those days, well, you had a few more outspoken characters for sure, and clubs were more open to the press, and there were more controversies going around. Uh, clubs have gotten better at shielding from those, but um, uh, you know, as, as for the content of the statements, I, I can't I cannot really spot a massive difference. You know, I mean, it's getting more slick, it's more round, but I mean, when you boil down the stuff that was being said back then and what's being said now to the essence, you're pretty much left with the same sort of impression as an outsider, I I, I would argue. So I, I don't think he has a point on that. But um, I mean, but where it does have a point is that, the is, you know, about youth education, he went on talking about youth education on that podcast. And he's absolutely right. The reason why France, England, Spain are ahead of Germany right now is because education of young players has focused too heavily on tactics. That as in turn led to players playing a pass and another pass and a pass and a pass and a pass and you don't see ever a guy trying to get into a dribble or take out two opponents by just moving you know you know taking them on because the German player is tactically well schooled and he's always looking for a pass he's always looking for ways to cut off a pass and to press so um that is what has put Germany behind but um as for the other stuff um it makes him seem like a bit of a grumpy old man who who seems to think that everything was better in his day. 
Yeah, yeah, this is, you know, this is in in many respects nothing new. I mean, every generation of players, whether it's, you know, footballers or, or you know, <laughs> people complaining about it in NBA punditry as well, you know, that, 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 that older players just want to talk about how the game's gone. And it, it's really not very interesting. Um, I, I do think that you are right to point out that, that, that if there is one grain of truth in what he's saying, that, that it is in, in, in youth uh, education and, and sort of the overemphasis on tactics for, for younger kids. So let's say, you know, kids, players less than 15 or 16 years old. But I am not at all convinced that that, that factor has a lot to do with, you know, what seemed to be the the main source of his his vituperation, which was that these this coaching education, all these badges, it's it's all BS, man. Like, come on, <laughs> it's it's not BS. <laughs> it's, not, it's not BS, but maybe in the German co- coaching education has focused too much on tactical systems rather than individual quality, and you know. And what we see now is that that might have to be adjusted ever so slightly into a different direction, because it might have gone too far, but. As for the coaching education and, and the, the way German coaches are, are being taught, it's still one of the best coaching educations in the world. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I, you know, if you, if you talk to people who have, you know, more or less a, a good idea of how footballers should be developed, many will tell you Don't that, ask me immature. Yeah, <laughs> well, they, they, will, they will definitely tell you that. But the tactical side of the game, that is exactly what you should be sort of focusing on with you know, late teen and adult footballers. That's, you know, 100% what you should be focusing on. That and certain, like, man management motivational things. The, the basic skills, the stuff that, that, you know, he believes is missing from German footballers, you know, the, the, the sort of ball skills and, you know, sort of learning to, to problem solve through dribbling, through individual, you know, class and creativity. That's the stuff that you spend the early part of coaching education on. And, and if that's missing from, from you know, the, how kids are being trained in Germany, that's a completely different, you know, problem than, than the stuff that he's concerned about in, in you know, coaching education. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. All right. Um, let's not talk about him again uh, for, I don't know, maybe a year. Let, I think we can promise it. We can promise that. <laughs> let's move on and talk about uh, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. This is, uh, you know, the third of uh, a trio of 2-1 results from the weekend. Uh, they were on the wrong end of it, just as uh, Dortmund were in their game. They lost at home, however, to uh, Teske Hoffenheim. Both of these teams had not uh, been doing a whole lot of winning in recent weeks. Gladbach were really close to getting a first win since match day nine. They were up 1-0 and cruising in this game, but then the last 15 minutes happened. Um, Andre Kramaric, who you know is always good for uh, a, a sort of some sort of moment of brilliance in the game, uh, scored from the edge of the area. He drew uh, Hoffenheim level. Then Marcus Thuram, the real headliner of the game, he got himself sent off. He spat in Stefan Posch's Face? Yeah, folks. The wheels pretty much came off uh, once Gladbach went down to 10 men. Ryan Sessegnon was at the back post, you know, at the right moment, four minutes from time. Hoffenheim won. Something, Nick, is not right at Gladbach at the moment. Uh, it's not just the spitting, and this is this is the second uh, instance of spitting recently. I guess the first one was was uh, sort of cleared because camera perspectives, et cetera, et cetera, showed that uh, Christoph Kramer was not spitting uh, in in the close proximity to a to a teammate. But 
You know, it's not great when <laughs> some of the main headlines about your team is people spitting. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely never a great thing. And uh, given the current times of COVID-19, maybe even worse these days than it would have been a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, I, for one, I've, I've watched Klappach on, on a few occasions over the last few weeks. I saw the match against Frankfurt. I saw bits and pieces of this match. And, uh, you know, whenever I've seen them, uh, they have taken the lead. And once they take the lead, they completely unravel. I mean, everything is working perfectly for them until they take the lead. And, you know, by the time they take the lead, they have probably had enough chances to score two or three goals as they did in this match. And then things just fall apart. Uh, you know, I, for the life of me, I do not understand why this is happening. I mean, the simplest thing would be to point to some psychological issue, but I think that would probably be oversimplifying it. So honestly, I I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's ailing this team. I've, I've no idea. Yeah, it's, it's, beginning to, um, it's beginning to turn into uh, something of a puzzle with them not only in terms of figuring out what's going on but i mean in this match it was sort of clear that the the the, the win or, or at least the point was was gifted away by marcus turaman as you know overheated head that saw him spit at a, at a opponent but um in other matches you you hadn't had those you hadn't had those factors to consider so um yeah tricky really tricky yep Yep, and they are, what now, uh, 12 points off the top. They are, you know, uh, six points back from the Champions League places. Oddly, too, they, you know, they, they, look, they look like a mid-table team right now. They're not consistent. Their goal difference is only two uh, in, in, on, in the plus side of things. I'm very glad for them to have reached the Champions League knockout stages, but um, I'm a little bit... Uh, I'm a little bit concerned that that you know even if they are able to sort of soak in how many how many games how many matches do they have before the Champions League starts back up again five or six games after the winter break um, that this inconsistency might just start right back up again uh, once once they have to sort of contend with uh, uh, Champions League games again who is their draw again in in the knockout stage it's it's not favorable <laughs> it's one of those whitewashed teams it's a it's a city club from from a big northern city uh, of of manchester yeah it's uh the city of manchester city yes. citizens yes yes it i is. believe is who they're who they're facing <laughs> currently what sixth place or something like that in the in the the, the premier league so you know that, that's the it's so, sort of sort of doable. like Glopper at a higher level <laughs> <laughs> All right. Briefly, before we uh, wrap up the first half of this show, uh, I guess we should probably talk about the other team who probably is ruining a missed opportunity uh, on this this match day. And I, I would say that would be Leipzig. They uh, played to a nil-nil draw at home to Cologne. Yes, I know Cologne have, have earned some pretty creditable uh, results, especially in the, the, the last month or so. They you know got a win in Dortmund, but then again, who, who doesn't do that these days? But... Leipzig had no business drawing this game. This was this was a real, real miss for them. Yeah, I mean, Marcel Zabitzer came out and kicked on in the Monday edition uh, this week, saying that we want to be crowned German champions. Well, champ, if you wanna, you have to win matches against Cole. All right. Well, let's let's leave it there for the first half of the show. I guess maybe before we 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 go out here, um, since we've covered 
all of the teams in the top three. Are you prepared to say that uh, Leipzig or Leverkusen have what it takes to push Bayern in this back half and a half of the season? Or is this... Um, I mean, logic dictates... You know, if logic and the XG is as reliable as I expect would say... Um, you would assume that Bayern's great conversion rate is going to end at some point. And yes, at, at that point, both of these teams should be ready to push them even further. And Bayern, Bayern's have had their downs. I mean, they, they haven't scored the first goal of a match since they played Köln on, I think, match day five or six. Mm-hmm. Seven matches in a row where they've conceded the first goal. I mean, that is probably... Maybe not unprecedented in their history, but I, you know, I've I've read a lot about Bayern's history from their Bundesliga years, and I I cannot remember a streak of seven matches where they conceded the first goal ever being mentioned in any history book about Bayern. But if 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 you know, if you know, well, they, get, they, they, they might well sweep that one under the carpet <laughs> if, if they did. Was Uli Hoeneß writing the history of Bayern? <laughs> can we go? Can yeah. we please go a year without talking about that guy as well? Yes. Okay. Let, let's strike your deal. We won't talk about Stefan Freund, Uli Hoeneß, Mehmet Scholl, or Marcel Reif, or the Doppelpass for the next year. Can we add uh, Didi Haman to that list as well? Yes. Nice. I mean, if, if, if they ever come up, if ever, anybody ever mentions them on, on this program, we'll donate $10 to charity. But first, we'll deny it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here comes part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone, as well as, you know, where things stand for teams heading into the mini Winterpause. I think we're going to start things off with a section that I like to call the biggest losers. Yeah. Biggest, biggest losers. We're not talking about weight loss here either, folks. We are talking about uh, teams that just can't seem to do anything right. You know, there are two teams who definitely fit that bill. There's another that, um, sadly, I may try and shoehorn into this segment. But, yes, let, let, let's start off with, with Mainz 05 uh, to, to begin with here. Uh, they fell prey to your team, in fact, on the weekend. It looked like they were going to be grinding out a second consecutive nil-nil uh, draw. But uh, deep into extra time, young Eren Dinkchi, scored a nice-headed goal, uh, and, and everyone was really <laughs> excited on the, the Bremen side of the ball. Not so excited uh, in Mainz, though. Yeah, I mean, for taking the Werder side quickly here, for Werder, it's, it's, it's a great goal because it sort of um, symbolizes what they want to accomplish this season because the, the assist was from Tai Chong, one of those young players on loan Oof, currently. He's been bad, bad, he's bad. Been bad, bad, bad. So they want him to come good, and... Dinchi is the sort of youth prospect they want to sort of in, integrate into their first team. He has been their prime target for for, for places in, in the starting lineup, but, you know, due to injury, he managed to get a place in, in the squad, and Tim Borowski pestered Florenkofer to give him a chance, and luckily he did. As for Mainz, you have to say that this English of has been an absolute treacherous experience for them, because they had Köln at home, a team that should have been beatable, even for them. Then they went on the road to Hertha, where they got a nil-nil draw, which is sort of a respectable result, but not a great result. And then Werder Bremen, another team from the relegation dogfight. I mean, they had nine potential points 
up for grabs against uh, sides that are down there in the same quagmire as them, and they took precisely one. And given that the club now has decided that uh, Ruben Schroeder is not going to be their sporting director anymore, and there are questions about Jan Moritz Lichter and his future at the club, it's looking like a club in turmoil right now. Yeah, it definitely is looking like a club in turmoil. And, you know, they are running a great risk of, uh, you know, trying to to go to go back to the future. I mean, just to give a little context to this um, Ruben Schroeder uh, deal, he was, you know, let go. Or I guess, you know, if, if you look at the details, it looks like he resigned. He didn't have he, he's not getting any any compensation for leaving. And it sounds like he's actually even going to do a little bit of work for them uh, into the, 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 the winter break until they can sort out a successor. What is also pretty clearly going to happen is Christian Heidel, who, you know, has served as a sporting director in the past for that club. Uh, he hasn't been there in, in several years. He went to Schalke for a while, has been, you know, out of work for a little bit, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sure he's doing fine. But he is very much a sort of icon of the club. He's a guy who owned like a car dealership and was a big sort of organizational player in the club as they rose from the lower divisions to become a, uh, a first division mainstay, he basically was Mr. Mainz. And the fact that he's been away from that club for as many years as he has, the pull of wanting to bring him back and to try and make everything okay again must be very, very tempting for that team. I'm not sure it seems entirely like a good idea because clearly Ruben Schroeder was not interested in working under uh, Christian Heidel. I'm not sure how many other candidates would be interested in that either, considering the the sort of natural uh, position of power that Heidel has at the club. I also don't know whether Heidel fancies keeping Lichter around or, or whether he thinks that's a good idea or whether he thinks that maybe they can't afford to bring anyone else new because they're already paying uh, a couple of ex-coaches as it is. This seems like a real mess. It is. And, um, you know, I mean, we, we talked to Michael Ebert, the, the Mainz journal for Kicker earlier. And, uh, you know, back then they were even considered bringing Sandro Schwarz back because he's one of those ex-coaches they're still paying. He's now gone to Russia. So the other ex-coach they're currently paying is um, Achim Bayerlotze. And that didn't end well. So uh, in terms of maybe bringing in another old flame of in terms of the coach, that's not going to fly. How about Kasper Yulmont? <laughs> that would be nice. I, I I like Danes. I like the Danes. They they are they are jolly people. And uh, Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales are truly um yeah they're pretty fitting for minds right now, aren't they? <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of diverging towards something entirely pointless here, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that in, in terms of the coach, they have uh, they have up for grabs on the market right now. Um, yeah, there's not really an awful lot of inspiring choices around for a club of their size at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't know what they're what they're looking to do. I mean, Lichten might well have to stick around uh, for the time being for financial reasons. There there is a couple of interesting options. I mean, you know, old Domenico Tedesco is going to be a. Uh, out of work pretty soon, I think, as soon as... Uh, End of the season in Russia, yeah. Exactly. I'm not sure if that's something he would be interested in. Uh, but, you know, might, they what, they've made it 12 years straight in the Bundesliga uh, this, this past season. I don't see them sticking around uh, this season. I, I, I feel like... 
I feel like it might just be their time. And I feel like in a way, if they want to to bring in the guy who who sort of raised them up from the lower divisions uh, as supporting director, who now I guess is going to be more of a sort of advisory board member slash uh, long-term, you know, strategic planner or whatever, this might be the time to, 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 to put things back in the hands of, of somebody who sort of knows how to get them out of the lower divisions. <laughs> yeah, Christian Mainz famously drew up the, the plans of how to get Mainz to the Bundesliga on, on his laptop uh, in a hotel room in Cyprus, whilst Mainz were actually at the bottom of the Bundesliga too. <laughs> very nice, very nice. I loved, you, you just called him uh, Christian Mainz as opposed to Christian Heidel, but I think that's entirely fitting. It's entirely <laughs> fitting. Christian Mainz, yeah. <laughs> before before we leave that behind, I, I know Mainz uh, fans, Mainz, uh, you know, managers are, are are quite down on where they're at, and they're got to be uh, have a pretty bad outlook. A couple of quick words on where Werder is feeling at the moment. I mean, this this was a hugely valuable win for them. I mean, any win is very valuable for 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 them at the moment. But are you are you feeling like there are signs of life, or is this still a team that's trying to find itself? <laughs> I mean, they've lost quality in Davy Clausen. Uh, they are maybe even likely to show more quality during the winter transfer window. And they're trying to work in young players like Nick Voltamada and, you know, some of some of these other guys. Um, <laughs> they have a guy like Christian Gross, who was actually planned to be an under-23 player, uh, who came in last season by accident and now is a Bundesliga professional, even though he never played higher than at, at the third tier um, you know, before he turned 30 and joined Werder. Um, you have to say, it's, it's you know, it's, it's you're not looking up the table as a Werder fan. You're rather looking what's behind you. And right now, there's a four-point gap down to Bielefeld, and that's great. But even more important is there's an eight-point gap down to Mainz. So as long as the team can sort of maintain the same sort of gap as long as possible... Or maybe even extend it. Uh, the better the season will be for for my heart and my health. But um, yeah, I think it's definitely going to be relegation scrap fight all over again for Werder Bremen, and we'll have to see what they learned from last season. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about um, a- another team who lost one nil at home this weekend. That, of course, is uh, Schalke nil fear. Uh, this was another completely inept uh, showing for this team. You know, I. I uh, they look just as bad as they had under the trainer of the century, uh, Hoop Stevens, this weekend, uh, as they did under Manuel Baum, as they did under uh, David Wagner before him. As they did under so many coaches before him again. But, um, I mean, listen, why on earth would you fire Manuel Baum on a Friday, bringing a guy and let him, you know, be in charge for a match on Saturday? That gives him one training session to get to know his players and to sort of think of a lineup. It's it's sort of seems like an incredibly tough thing to do. And, you know, from, from the from 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 what we saw in the game, Schalke once again dreadful at the back. I mean, Fabian Klose is I think in between three Schalke players on a on a cross into the area. You should be able to defend that. You must be able to defend that. I think he's actually wedged in between Salaf Saneh and Bastian Oshipka, two players who are over 30 who've an awful lot of Bundesliga experience, should be able to defend that. My God. So, um, yeah, it's, 
it's, it's looking bleak. I mean, this team is sort of not well-constructed. There are... It, it speaks of the fact that there have been so many coaches over the years and the, the squad planning by Jochen Schneider has been absolutely shocking. The fact that they, um, you know, are saving money at all costs and that that made them decide to do not get rid of players like Benteleb and some other players who had been on, out on loan. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just sitting here shaking my head and think, um, if you ever want to write a textbook on, on how not to prepare a team for a season and how not to manage a team from, you know, from the board's position, this probably here would be a good case study. Yeah, I think um, I think whatever happens to Schalke, uh, and, and I, I still do believe that they're going to go down, uh, whatever happens, it's going to become a, a, an iconic failure in, in Bundesliga history. If you believe some of the rumors, which are, are sort of coursing around Gelsenkirchen and elsewhere, <laughs> and and you know this this is very typical in that these these rumors that the two coaches who um, are are you know reported to have some kind of traction with with uh, Jochen Schneider potentially as as, as successors for. Um, the trainer of the century, or really from Manuel Baum, are Alexander Zorniga and Christian. I mean, but, but, you know, I mean, I mean, if, <laughs> these, are, these guys, they have nothing in common. Case in point, if, if you are in a position of leadership at a, at a club and you want to plan a squad and you want to plan, you also have to plan for a type of football and buy the players you need for that type of football. I mean, if you bring in Zorniga, I've, you know, I've watched... Brunby, the team he coached in Denmark, watched Leipzig under him, VfB Stuttgart. It's mad pressing. It's pressing, pressing, pressing high up the pitch. I and mean, then, you know, you even go out and attack, you know, the right back with like three or four players at the time and leaving sort of gaping holes behind you. And um, it's all about running, running, running. And um, maybe not maybe not the sort of type of football a player like Bastian Hoshipka, for instance, would appreciate playing. But okay. You, you can't... You can't you get around that, and but you know when you look at Christian Gross, who's a sort of more controlled style of play, you know why are you sort of tithering between those two options? Wouldn't it be more natural to look at another coach who has a more similar philosophy to Zorninger and think, okay, our our squad is sort of designed for that. Who of the two guys is the better option here, rather than just throwing a wide net, thinking? Yeah, let's see what sticks. Yeah, and the weird thing, too, is that, you know, if you go with Zorniger, and of course his his one, you know, Erste Bundesliga job at at Fahrt Stuttgart was a bit of a flame-out. It was a super interesting, super fun flame-out. I mean, I I thought that his Stuttgart team was highly entertaining, and I would love to see him back in the Bundesliga just, (laughs) just to see a team go hell for leather like that again. But, you know, he would be a coach who could have an eye toward the future. Like this would be a coach who is, is on the younger side. He's not as young as he once was, but you know, he's still in the grand scheme of things, a younger coach who you could potentially build toward uh, uh, the future with, even if he went, took you down to the second division. Cause probably under that, with his style of play, you'd have to end up playing a bunch of kids anyway, who have the lungs to, to make it work. Christian Gross, on the other hand is, you know, it's like a one of those huh head scratcher things. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't coached in the Bundesliga in 
how many, what, nine, ten years? He hasn't coached in Europe in eight years, I think. He's a good agent, turns out, if he has an in-net charger. This is like a total, you know, retread safe pair of hands where he's going to try and get us to safety. You know, make up your mind, Schalke. <laughs> it's the equivalent of signing Ali Karimi, uh, which Schalke did after he like, sort of like spent six or eight years in Iranian football after just totally crashing out at Bayern. Suddenly, that guy pops back up in Germany at 29 years old. Uh, I think that was a Felix Maggot signing. Felix Maggot, that might be a fun thing to oh, consider. Oh yeah, he loves he loves Ali Karimi. Oh yes. Um, now I, I just have one 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 last fan fact to add. Uh, Schal- Schalke hadn't actually lost at home to Arminia Bielefeld since the 70 71 season. Back then, the Bundesliga included fun sides like Rot-Weiß Oberhausen, Rot-Weiß Essen, Kaiserslautern, Kickers Offenbach, Eintracht Braunschweig, and MSV Duisburg. Sides you probably would have never even have heard about if you weren't listening to this podcast. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm going to go now to the third team who I think um, had a, an absolutely horrendous uh, English Woche. Uh, those two teams who we just mentioned uh, picked up one point over the course of the week. Here to Picked up two points over the course of the week. Also, not good. This improvement by 100%. Not good. They were 4-1 losers in Freiburg and did it in absolutely maniacally frustrating fashion, giving up, um, you know, a couple of extremely stupid goals, uh, not only... Um, sort of missed assignment type goals, but, you know, individual errors, uh, a dumb penalty. This has been the thing that's plagued them all year. And I thought that, you know, coming to the end of this um, this English week, there's going to be a lot of reassessing going on. And it's very unclear to me at what level um, that reassessment needs to happen. I mean, this is... Is, is, is the problem uh, the squad? Is the problem the coach? Is the problem the, the guy who put together the squad? Is, you know, who's making the decisions right now? Um, I know they have this new CEO, Karsten Schmidt, who is sort of, you know, at the head of everything, although is promised not to necessarily get too mixed up in the sporting side of things. But, you know, if you're the boss, you have to, you have to make some decisions. It I, This is a, a real mess right now for Hertha and, and, I am concerned. Yeah, you should be. I mean, um, when Kicker starts writing stuff, articles with the headlines, is Labadia the problem or the solution? And Kicker, you know, not necessarily being the sort of tabloid yep. sharks like built. And when they are sort of typing up these sort of suggestive articles, um, your team is in trouble. And um, it's really difficult to tell because it's hard to get a read on Hertha because... You know, they did quite well against Leverkusen. Got a nil-nil draw against them. Good result. Most teams have fared a lot worse against them. They got a 1-1 draw against uh, Gladbach. So you thought, okay, here we go. Now now they have like seven or eight team matches coming up uh, against sides below them at the table. <laughs> They're not going to be below them for much longer if they keep playing like this. <laughs> they, they ended up taking one point against Mainz from those two matches uh, at this side of the year. Of the new year, and uh, you know, after after the new year, they're taking on Schalke, Bielefeld, Köln, Hoffenheim, and Werder. And um, for me, in in my mind, this is where both the future of the season and the future of Labadie is going to be decided, because losses against any of the two first two opponents are not going to fly. I would assume. Yeah, yeah, and he did, he went out on a limb 
following this game against Freiburg, where um, you know he he criticized Mateusz Cunha very openly and very strongly following the game. I mean, he had taken him off at halftime and basically explained his decision uh, at having done so by saying that his body language was terrible, that he was not um, you know playing his part tactically. He was you know dragging the team down. Uh, he he said, which. Considering Mateusz Cunha's demeanor on the pitch, and it's been it's been questionable all season, and even the end of last season in terms of the way that he gets frustrated with his teammates, the way that he you know argues with the referee a lot, um, the way that he sort of you know seeks confrontation with with you know opposing players at times is problematic. And I'm sure that this is something that that, that Labadia has brought up to him in private a bunch of times, and now he probably was just like. I've had enough. I, I got to say it publicly. But, you know, anytime, anytime you, you call out the, the player who is clearly your best player, uh, it's playing with fire. This kid can go either way. And, and many times it's, it's, it's gone the wrong way for coaches like Labadier. So um, you'll see what happens after the new year. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Um, Kostin Schmidt, who I brought up uh, a moment ago, who is the new, new CEO, who's, who's not a football man. He, you know, he ran Sky uh, television in Germany for a number of years, and he's sort of a more of a, a marketing and strategy guy. Um, but he did say uh, in an interview with the Bild Zeitung on on Monday that um, with uh, the, the number of points that they've picked up, as well as where they are in the table, is completely unsatisfactory. That it's you know well below expectations, and that um, you know if they don't pick up start picking up points in January that uh, then then there's going to be some trouble. It's not really clear what uh, who's going to be in trouble or what kind of changes will be made, but I, uh, I hope they start picking up points in January <laughs> for, for Bruno and Michael and all kinds of people's sake. Yeah, I mean, that jacket Bruno is sporting these days, I want to see that in the Bundesliga. It deserves to be in the Bundesliga. I know. Come it, on. It's not as lucky as it once was, though, Nick. Not, not as <laughs> no, lucky. No, it's not. Briefly, before we leave that behind, Freiburg, this was obviously sort of, uh, you know, this is a team who, <laughs> they seem to live in perpetual transition, let's just say, in terms of, of, you know, players going in and out and, you know, creating a new sort of core to the team. But this, this in the grand scheme of things, is starting off to be one of their um, stronger seasons in terms of, of you know, how the team is functioning in terms of, you know, they're getting good performances from their, their top players. It's the magic of the English of all that we talked about earlier. I mean, last week we talked about the fact that Cologne got themselves out of the news when they took nine points from the English of all. Yep. Look what Firebook have done. Nine points. They did, they did nine points. And, um, you know, before, before those nine points, they were down there with, you know, all the other teams like Stalke and Mainz. And, you know, now they can sort of look at their existence and think, well, yeah, we are sort of a mid-table club and that's actually what we hope to be. That's what we want to accomplish, even though we have a lot less resources than pretty much all the other teams in the Bundesliga. Yeah, and and if I'm honest, I was not shocked that Hertha had a bit of a difficult job Uh Getting, getting something out of this game. I mean, if there is one thing that has plagued Hertha all season, it has been, you know, lapses in concentration, lapses in effort. Uh, and that those are two things that Freiburg 
have absolutely no problems with. Like they are a team who have a pretty clear plan, not a very, um, you know, sort of a sophisticated plan at times, but they run hard. They pass, you know, quickly, directly. They finish well. They have people um, who, who sort of, you know, are pretty dangerous when they get the ball in, in you know, the opposition penalty area. And 4-1, fair. Fair result, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I, you know, when you see Freiburg these days, um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a simple setup, but it's an effective setup. And, uh, uh, you know, I, w- I would like to highlight Vincenzo Grifo. I think he's a, he's turning his season around at, at the moment and is actually playing a tremendous part. And Santa Maria coming good now as as well for them. And uh, additionally, you can always throw in Nils Patterson and get a goal out of him. I mean, with that combination, the only way seems to be up for Freiburg. Uh, we got a couple of more uh, games slash uh, teams to talk about. We, you know, focus maybe on the teams that, that, that came out on top here. Wolfsburg were 1-0 winners at home uh, over uh, Stuttgart. Stuttgart, who we've talked about a lot this season, as as sort of showing off as uh, a team on the rise with a lot of good young players. But it's we don't want to just lose sight of Wolfsburg, who are now all the way up in fourth place. They are, you know, one of the stingiest defenses in the league. They and this was a dreadful match to watch. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was not uh, huge. Entertainment value, but a billiards goal from Bracalo. Yeah, but you know, yes, Wolfsburg is sort of a nasty side to play against because they're not they're not giving you an inch, and they have the sort of personnel up front that can punish you, and they do, and that's why they are looking more and more like sort of a Champions League contender. I think they can improve on their seventh place finish from last season if they keep playing this way, and. Um, you know, listen, they, they've played against the big boys as well. They've played against Bayern München. You know, didn't miss out by much there too. So, yeah, Wolfsburg, they're up, absolutely an upward trajectory compared to last season. And, um, yeah, finally, that, that Volkswagen money is actually buying them the sort of positions that it should buy them. But um, that hasn't always been the case over the last few years. Also, with a good finish to this, uh, you know, mini Hinrunde, uh, the Eagles... Eintracht Frankfurt, they were 2-0 winners away to uh, Augsburg. Uh, this has got to be probably not only good for them to get a win just from for morale reasons, but also uh, considering they really blew it at midweek against Gladbach. Um, really nice to get a result here. I'm, I'm still of the mind that Frankfurt have, um, they have some, some Luft nach oben. Let's just say they, they, I still think that they can get more out of this squad. I still think they can go higher than ninth. I think this is actually their first win since their 2 1 win against Hoffenheim on October 3rd, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Mm-hmm. They, they, how many draws did they get in a row? They had something like six, seven draws in a row, something ridiculous like that. I mean, they, they lost to Wolfsburg after that. That was yeah, that three, three draw. So, but before then, they had. Uh, Five draws in a row, and uh, another draw against Köln, which was sort of uh, before their 5-0 loss to Bayern, but they basically had seven draws from like nine matches. Yeah. And, you know, some of the friends in Frankfurt really started to get frustrated with that sort of run of draws and sort of thinking, well, the team is underperforming, we're not getting where we should be getting, but um, 
for me, it's always been a case that I think that Frankfurt have been great in terms of creating chances. But they're sort of doing a reverse buy-in in defense and letting in too many goals in terms of the uh, in terms of what sort of chances they allow their opponents. I mean, they actually have uh, let in, uh, according to their XG, that is four goals more than they should have. Which is, you know, it's a, a stats go. It's it's absolutely horrific. I mean, that that's basically saying it could have potentially cost them eight points. All right, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced as always by Aiden Rantoul. And, uh, you know, produced in a more, you know, organic, uh, you know, speaking into microphone sense by Nick Vildhagen. <laughs> yes, absolute pleasure and delight. Uh, thanks, Aiden, for, for producing and making us sound coherent, or at least making me sound you always sound coherent Matt but I <laughs> don't necessarily always sound coherent but you know it does actually a pretty pretty good job so uh Merry Christmas and uh Happy New Year to uh both Aiden and all of our listeners for sure for sure I I'm I'm glad that you find me coherent that is uh that, that's a minimal bar that I do hope to clear with you and and with everyone every week uh, if you want to contact me uh, I'm at Mr Matt Herman on Twitter Nick of course is at Norm Musings uh, you can hear much more of both of us on Patreon we'll be having um, some some interesting uh, alternative content coming up over the break since we don't have any uh, historic match days to go over you can hit us up on Twitter collectively at talking foosball Please do subscribe to this podcast wherever you, you know, get your podcasts. Tell a friend about us, uh, review us, all that good stuff. This is some Nick Simoleon.